0: We'll be says, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now, if you remember from last week, what Jesus told his disciples to do, not to do any important decision-making, but to wait. And unfortunately, they do what disciples do, and that's mess up and start making movements and, and decisions that are pre-the Holy Spirit. And uh, moving without God is never a wise thing to do. But they did that anyways. Uh, But here now we're still seeing them waiting. Waiting for, just like Jesus said, waiting for the Holy Spirit. Uh, And just to make a note, the day of Pentecost is, the word Pentecost means 50 days after. And it's 50 days after the Passover. And we know that from the first chapter that Jesus was with the disciples for 40 days after resurrection. So we're assuming it's about a week to 10 days that they had to wait. So it's not that long. In all practicalities, to have to wait for the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Dave. Uh, <laughs> but, 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 but in all respect in all matter, thinking about waiting a week. You know, you're excited, you're fired up. There's anticipation of what's going to happen. Seven days to ten days is actually roughly long, you know. And and you know how Peter he's impulsive so he already jumped up and wanted to make a big decision that was a little bit erroneous if not a lot a bit erroneous so impulsive waiting why do we have to wait let's just do it now let's just go but the, the 10 days is now up and now we're at pentecost when the holy spirit arrives the promise of the father the promise that Jesus gave to his disciples that the holy spirit will come upon them and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. This is fascinating. Very fascinating because when God moves, when God does something, he does something that's meaningful. These, the, this, this language that, that God has given to them wasn't for their own vainglory. We talked about that a lot last week. It wasn't for their satisfaction, for their comforts, and for their you know, existential ex- religious experience. This was for the benefit of the mission, Okay, the, the word utterance means to speak out, speak forth, to pronounce. And a big part of what the church's mission, that's us, guys, that's the church. Okay, God, his will is that he was established the church. That's God's will, that the church would be established. In order to have the church, you need to have the Holy Spirit. Bottom line, you have to have the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, there's no church. So here the church is being born right here in this upper room at the day of Pentecost. And a big part of it is this utterance, this clear communication of God's word, God's will, and God's way. So next slide, please. And again, all this is in accord of what Jesus is wanting to do. What's his will? What's his plan? What is his mission? And so the Holy Spirit came to give the church power to do the mission that God has called us to do. And just remember what the mission is. Back in Luke twenty four forty six, I did Luke instead of Matthew. I like Matthew's twenty eighth version, but I figure since we're in Acts and Acts was written by Luke, we'll look at Luke's perspective. So Luke said in Luke 24, twenty four twenty forty six, "Thus is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead." And that repentance and forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. So here we right away, we see what Christ has done, what Jesus has done. And now we see the responsibility of the disciples, the responsibility of the church. That a proclamation, a declaration, a utterance, words need to be said. Things need to be communicated clearly. What are they proclaiming? They're proclaiming that Christ suffered, he died, but he rose from the grave. And then also they are to proclaim repentance. So we're going to look at that a lot today as well. It all starts. This is the, this is the message. The thing is, it's, the message hasn't changed since day one. I mean, the fact that we're here still talking about, it's surprising. This is the message. This is the message. It should be begun in Jerusalem. Like it says here, beginning in Jerusalem and then spreading throughout the whole world. This is the message. Jesus Christ suffered, died, and now we need to Repent. And forgiveness of sins is available to us. This is, the mess, this, is the, this is what the church is supposed to be doing. And behold, I am saying the promise of my Father upon you. Of course, this is the necessary ingredient. In order to do the work realistically, successfully, we have to have the power of the Holy Spirit. Without it, it's just vain. Stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. So don't even begin your mission until you're ready. And you won't be ready until God's with you and God's in you. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You have to have it. It's not just a, oh, I I think I I fancy a bit of Holy Spirit today. No, it has nothing to do with that. You need to have the Holy Spirit. The church has the Holy Spirit. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we will not see any victory. We will not see any success in our ministry, in our church. You have to have the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, don't make decisions. Don't start voting on what you're going to eat for lunch and your little outreach thing. Don't do anything until the Holy Spirit has arrived. Don't do a thing. That's why he said, wait, 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 wait. So now we see in the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit's arrived. And now we see what the mission is because they start to fulfill the mission right away. Next slide, please. So back in Acts 2, starting in verse 5. Now there are were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews devout men from every nation under heaven and at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language so they weren't bewildered because there was a bunch of noisy nonsense they were bewildered because these guys were speaking in such a way in such a language that they were understood okay that's important they were understood. They weren't just on show, display, it wasn't chaos. They were understood, okay? You guys got it? When the Holy Spirit came, there wasn't chaos. There wasn't nonsense. There was clarity of communication. The Holy Spirit came. There wasn't nonsense. There wasn't chaos. There wasn't weirdness. There was beautiful, clear, clear, communication in such a wonderful, powerful way that they, there was this new language that was actually understood by various languages and dialects. I mean, think about how wonderful, how miraculous this really is. I mean, this isn't, this isn't playtime. This is serious business. This was a genuine wonder, a genuine miracle Imagine if if anyone was able to stand up and speak to a huge mass crowd of people all over the world. One person, no translator, one person, one language, but everyone was able to hear it without translation. German, French, Chinese, Japanese, whatever. Just imagine that. This is a wonderful miracle. It's a wonderful thing that's happening here. But what's the intention? What's the mission? The mission is to proclaim Jesus Christ. You can't proclaim Jesus Christ unless you're understood. So what's going to happen here? What's the mission? Proclaiming of Jesus Christ. And yes, the Holy Spirit's doing a wonderful thing to, to inspire this, to encourage us, to make this happen. And so, of course, it's an amazing thing. Verse 7. And they're amazed and astonished, saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? So why, not, I mean, how is it that they're Galileans, but yet we're hearing it in all these other different languages? Verse 8 basically says that. And how is that we hear each of us in his own language? You know, and he goes on, lists them all. All the different languages, all the different areas. Then down verse 11, we hear them telling in our own tongues or languages the mighty works of God. See, again, the point, when the Holy Spirit moves in a real way, in a mighty way, God is glorified. His mighty works are made known. And I hate to say it, but his mighty works are all encompassed in the cross. What Jesus has done, the power of God to deliver his son from death, deliver us from sin and death. That's what they were doing. And in fact, I think this is a summary of what we're going to see in a moment when Peter stands up. Because I believe what Peter does when he stands up here is speaking in this language. But look what he does when he speaks this language he's understood luke is documenting it and he's basically proclaiming what christ has done he's proclaiming christ and it's a simple but wonderful message but look at but, but when anything happens like this when the spirit moves there's always going to be various responses i think there's two profound responses that we're seeing here in verses 12 and 13 one i would call this genuine inquiry what does this mean I mean, that's a good question. What is the meaning of this? You know, of course, we're going to have an answer to that question. But we also have cynicism. You know? Pfft, what are they like? These weirdo Christians talking in languages. Who gave them a right? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Cynicism. And then we see that still today. And so others mocked saying, oh, they're just filled with, with, with wine. They're all boozed up. That's, that's what's wrong. Who, who, I mean, come on, these Christians you got to be playing some kind of weird game. But no, there's no wine of any kind. And Paul gives a wonderful apologetic of the work of the Holy Spirit. Did I say Paul? I meant Peter. Peter goes ahead and gives a wonderful apologetic of the work of the Holy Spirit in verse 14. But Peter, there standing with the eleven, lifted his voice and addressed them. And again, I believe this is kind of the content of what we saw earlier, of this, this, this wonderful time of, of speaking in this language that was understood by all the different people. And so he says to them in a language they all could understand, so they could all respond and be accountable to. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words, for these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day, or 9 a.m., but this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. Now, this is interesting. First of all, I like how when he steps up and you see the Holy Spirit using him, the first thing he does is he uses Scripture. Now, earlier they saw him using Scripture. And we talked about how Scripture can be used in a in the, in the wrong way. It can be twisted and manipulated. But here we see him using some Scriptures and expounding on in a wonderful, beautiful way. He goes to Joel, and he says in Joel... And in the last days it shall be, God declares, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I entitled this, No Need for the Old Testament Prophet. Now, God uses children. They say, and I believe rightfully so, that John the Baptist was the old or the last of the Old Testament prophets. There's a new system, there's a new way that God's going to communicate. And it's not through prophets like the Old Testament types, you know, like the Elijah and the, and the Isaiahs and the Joels and the John the Baptists. Because you see, now though God's Holy Spirit is on fire, it is ignited, it's released. Think about how Moses, he was one of the earlier prophets. He had such a hard work. He represented a whole nation. So imagine there's one prophet in, in a nation, community, whatever. There was a lot of burden, a lot of work on that one person. But now God decides to use the church, a group of people. And that's why Peter opens up and says in these last days it shall be that God declares I will pour out my spirit on all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy yes you people not the one reserved special person but you people your children are going to prophesy you're going to hear from God they're going to see dreams or have dreams and they're going to have visions It's not going to be reserved for that one special person in the community, that one special person in the nation. This is the church. This is the blessing of the Holy Spirit upon the church. Even on my male servants and female servants, yes, even those ultra-common, mundane people who don't deserve, you know, to hear from God, even they will hear from God. This is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of the Holy Spirit, what God has given to us. In those days, I'll pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, prophesy to, to be a prophet, to speak forth by divine inspiration. And I put it this way, the mouthpiece of God. We as a church have opportunity to be the mouthpiece of God if we are filled with the Holy Spirit. What a beautiful introduction to this sermon. First of all, he's talking about what needs to happen. What he's saying here is basically, you're, we're communicating with you. Just as God declared through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is how he's introducing it. We're not drunk on wine. We're communicating to you. We're going to give you a very important message. This is introduction using this prophecy from Joel. It's awesome. What you're hearing now is the voice of God. What you're hearing now is a prophecy. This is us speaking on behalf of God. And now is the opportunity to respond. That's how he introduces his sermon. And he goes on. And This is interesting. This is in Joel as well. Because verse nineteen twenty talks about the end times. Next slide, please. And at first, I, th- I thought was a side note or something, but no, it's not a side note. This is relevant contextual material. This is very important because, again, what is he talking about here? First, I'm talking about you, that that the Holy Spirit is communicating, and second of all, there is an impending judgment, and we need salvation from it. Do you see how it's, how, how relevant this is to the gospel? So he goes on verse 19 to say, And I will show wonders in heavens above and signs of the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. Again, the day of the Lord is a day we're still waiting for. It's a day when Christ returns to judge the world. It's the great fearful day of the Lord. And so that's why I wonder, what is he, why is he, is he talking about this all of a sudden? Oh, I get it. It's because of verse 21. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved ah i get we will all be judged for our sins we'll all be judged in the court to how we either rejected god and his gift or how we have received god in his gift ah this makes sense what a beautiful verse this is spiritual this is such a spiritual led spiritual chosen portion of scriptures that peter was given to preach what you're seeing here is the holy spirit in the end times there's going to be a great judgment but guess what if you call upon the name of the lord you'll be saved this is the gospel. He used Joel to preach the gospel. This is the Holy Spirit at work right here, guys. This is wonderful. So I, conclu- I kind of wrap this portion up by saying, in other words, God's righteous wrath is coming. However, salvation from his righteous wrath is here. It's available. It is for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. Again, this is the introduction to the gospel message that Peter is about to or is currently giving. He will now describe to us very clearly who or what the name of the Lord is. Next slide. So he goes on to say, and here's the message of messages. In verse 22, men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know, this Jesus or this one delivered up according to the definite plan of foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. So here's, like, here's the message. There's the, the, the bulk of the text. That Jesus of Nazareth, made very clear who he is, It was all God's plan. It was all God's will. Okay? You knew that he was the Christ. You knew that he's the Messiah because of his mighty works and wondrous signs. But yet you still, by the hands of lawless men, he was killed, he was crucified. But guess what? Death can't hold him down. I love verse 24 so much. (laughs) Because it was not possible for him to be held by it. Isn't that amazing? It's not possible for Jesus to die. Well, it's possible for him to die, but it's not possible for him to stay dead. (laughs) It's not possible. He's too powerful for that kind of thing. And then he goes and talks about David, David's prophecy, which is actually wonderful. Because when you first read it, you wonder if David's talking about himself. But no, according to Peter, it's very clear that what David's talking about is Christ. He's talking about from the Christ perspective. So David said in his Psalm 16, 8 to 11, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. And this is the key verse right here. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or let your Holy One see corruption. So again, who is David referring to here? Well, Peter's going to explain that in just a moment. But remember, you will not abandon my soul to Hades. Or let your Holy One see corruption. For you have made known to me the path of life. You will make me full of gladness with your presence. And then he goes on to expound, Peter does here. And he says, brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David. Um, in some translations, in fact, the New Living, I believe, says uh, that this man, that David wasn't referring. He's actually used that word referring to himself, but was referring to Christ. So, you can be confident that this patriarch, this David, he's dead and he's buried. So, he did die and he did. Hades is another word for the grave. So, he is in the grave. You know, his body did corrode in the grave. He died and he was buried. And his tomb is with us today. But, however, David was a prophet. And as a prophet, he cannot lie. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, one of the descendants of David, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ. So this is not about David. This is about Christ. It's from Christ's perspective. What he is talking about here, what he's referring to here, is the resurrection of Christ. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did he his flesh corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and all, or and of that, we are all witnesses. We've seen it. You've seen it. We know that it's a fact that Jesus was not bound in hell by the grave. He rose from the grave. He's alive. Next slide, please. So David here is referring to Christ. And this is a simple, beautiful argument. Let's follow this through and continuing verse 33. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he had poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into heaven... But he said to himself, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God made him both Lord and Christ or Messiah. for Christ, I'm trying have Messiah. This Jesus whom you've crucified. So he's talking about <coughs> whom, what name? Are we saved? What name is that we were saved by? If we believe in this name, what name? It's the name of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. He's made it very clear in this little sermon. Absolutely clear. And the argument is so simple. And the argument is so straightforward. I even drew it up here using simple, you know, um, syllogisms. Using scripture, Peter, using scripture showed that there will be one sent by God who will die but not remain dead. Right? That's what David was talking about, right? There's one who's going to be sent by God that's going to die but not stay in the grave. Number two, he claims that this man is Jesus. Why? Because he was alive, then he was dead, and now he's alive again. So it's as simple as that. He goes, you guys know Jesus and you know the prophecies. So let's think about this. If God's going to send one, a Messiah, who's going to die but the grave won't hold him, i.e. he's going to be alive again. Let's think about what just happened a couple weeks back. Didn't that just happen a couple weeks back with Jesus? Didn't he die? Didn't you guys, you guys killed him, right? Remember that? You got, I'm sure they were pretty upset about that. Remember how you killed that Jesus? That's okay, you killed him. That's okay. It's part of God's plan. But let's think about it. Is he still dead? No, he's not still dead. So what is the, what is the conclusion then? Therefore, Jesus must be the one sent by God. Can't get easier. Can't get simpler than that. And that's what I love about the gospel. If if you really understand the gospel and the Holy Spirit's a big part of who you are as a person, you know, then the gospel is the easiest thing in the world you can give to someone. It's easy. Because look at that. Look at Peter. Peter didn't overthink it. He didn't sit and and labor over his studies to, to make it just right. He didn't go to seminary or Bible college. No, he knew the gospel because, first of all, though... He believed in Jesus. He believed in what he saw. But the Holy Spirit was there to, to give him the words he needed. And it is simple. And so look at what happens. Look at the response. The response to a simple message that was strangely powerful, not by eloquence of, you know, use of language and rhetoric, but by the working in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, 37 says this. Now when they heard, this is all the men folk and the women folk and the children folk listening to Peter. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? I love it. Humble, simple, and straightforward. We heard the message. We believe the message. What do we need to do? And that's great. That's, that's, that's an awesome response what else would we would we want so the question what shall we do that's a good question what are we going to do if we've heard the message of the gospel we 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 understand that Jesus is the one sent by God that the grave cannot hold down what do we do how do we how do we respond to that and peter said it very clearly here in verse 38 peter said to them repent again that's always been the message Repentance has always been necessary. John the Baptist, he drilled it. Jesus reinforced it. But even in the Old Testament, God constantly told the people to repent. That's what we need to do. We need to change. But Yes, this is the message for thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and we'll never change, guys. So next Sunday, I might say it again. And I might say it again a week from now. I might say it again a year from now, 10 years from now, because that's always what's necessary. We need repentance. It's time to change. And be baptized. What do we need to do? We need to be baptized. We need to immerse ourselves, every single one of us, in the name, the way, the path, the thinking, the behaving, the doing, the will, so on and so forth, of Jesus, who is the Messiah, who is the Christ. That's what we need to do, repent and be immersed in Christ. Every one of us, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, So what we need to do? We need to receive and believe that we are forgiven. Forgiven of our sins. That's past errors, present blunders, future mistakes. Morally speaking, but still, yes, we're forgiven. And you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children. And for all who are far off. So yeah, first of all, he's talking about those Jewish people there in Jerusalem. It's for them. It's for the Jews. It's for them. They're sitting there listening. This is for you and your children. But not just that, but people who are far off. I like that people are far off because that's Scotland. Isn't that what Scotland means? A far off place. <laughs> it's, it's ironic, isn't it? But it's for us. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself... And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, "Save yourself from this crooked generation." Oh, that still applies today, doesn't it, guys? So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about three thousand souls. Wow, that must have been surreal. Imagine three thousand people giving their lives to the Lord right there, right then. That must have been some day. Wow. To have been there. <laughs> I'm jealous. We're gonna we're gonna end by praying.